Welcome back to Out of the Question. Today's guest has been part of our lives for decades. He was a debating star, studied law, science and maths at university before winning raw comedy and embarking on a stellar radio career. First on Triple J and then on 702. I speak, of course, of the guy who hates being called a maths genius, Adam Spencer. Still, Adam's pretty good at maths and has written five books on the subject, including the recently released Maths 101. I got a text message a few years ago from a mate of mine, very intelligent guy, and it said, Spence, my son Teddy just asked me, Dad, why isn't one a prime number? And the text message continued, I locked myself in the bathroom, but I can't stall him much longer. Please help. And that's when I realised that actually, even for you know, a quite bright guy, my mate, once you get into sort of fifth grade, sixth grade primary school maths, if, it's, if you haven't looked for a while, you know, inverting and multiplying fractions and things like that is, is pretty much gone out of the memory bank. So Maths 101 is a guide to teaching your kid or going on the primary school maths journey with your kid. It's all the stuff on the curriculum, but it's also all the beautiful weird stuff they ask, like how big is infinity? And why isn't one a prime number? And is zero odd or even or neither or whatever? So it's a, a rollicking romp through primary school mathematics. Adam's TV appearances include Good News Week and The Glass House, as well as weekly sports rap, The Back Page. And apart from always being in demand for corporate gigs, he's also co-founder of Dry July, which has raised over 75 million for adult cancer services. We'll get into the questions in a minute, but first, there's a bit of a preamble. Adam, 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 I noticed this the other day. We were going to have two Adams talking, and I, so I needed to run something by you. And then I got really excited because it's going to be even more exciting to run by you. But do you notice as an Adam, you, you, your name beginning with an A, you're disproportionately at the front of people's phone address books, so you get a lot more butt dials than of, random people? Of course. And the thing was then, I thought, and the, the whole alphabetical, but you're an Adam and you're a Zwar. Mm. So you would get both ends of the stick in things that are determined alphabetically because you would have been permanently last in alphabetical order, wouldn't you, in school roles and all sorts of stuff? Always, except there was a, a guy called uh, Zdenko Zavella, oh. Z-Y, uh, and he was uh, last for a while, but he was only there for about a year. Double Z, Zdenko yeah. Zavella. Oh, because I put this out on Twitter the other day. I, I, I tweeted, calling all Andersons, Amirs, Zamets, and Zuckers. Do you have a surname that sits right near either end of the alphabet? What's the biggest <laughs> advantage, disadvantage of alphabetical listing all your life? Any Millers and Nicholsons out there frustrated at always being in the middle? And my old mate, Will Anderson, went for He mentioned the butt dial as a reply. How's this for a great piece of trivia? Someone hit me on this. Don Adams, get smart. He's real. He's birth name was not Don Adams. It was Don Yami. And they used to do auditions in the fifties in alphabetical order. And he felt he was always walking into a room after they'd seen 25 people and already <laughs> made up their mind. So he went with his wife's maiden name of Adams and started getting first into the auditions. Bang. Then you have get smart. Um, that is, that is genius. And also it must've been an early adopter of, of the wife's surname. Yeah. Very woke. He was, and I mean, you, you've only got to watch get smart and, and his later movie, the nude bomb. He was, he was very woke old Don Adams. Well, you know, get, get smart. It's one of those comedies that hasn't really aged in, in a way it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's not one of those comedies that's kind of been canceled on the grounds of, 
inappropriateness. No, no it's it's a bit cheesy, but it's yeah. still funny. And the Very theme. I'm I'm an absolute bandit for really good television themes like the A Team, yeah. all the classics, the A Team. Remember yeah. the remember the professionals yes. in the UK. That was the, like the best with that big, um, you know, waka waka guitar and the sax in the middle. And I think might have been an Australian wrote that. Oh, really? Yeah, an Aussie either wrote it or it's an Aussie playing the saxophone or something in the professionals theme. Well, I love the Minder theme. I'm a little oh, bit yep. da- daggier than you, but I yep. love the Minder theme. Um, and and also, you know, different strokes as a kid. The interesting one about the uh, different strokes too, you would have got pretty good odds on Todd Bridges being the last member of that cast to still be alive. I, that's a really good point. <laughs> He was the one who gave it a fair nudge, as far yeah. as I understand, old Todd, and he, he he outlasted them all. <laughs> That's such a good point. He's the Keith uh, Richards of different strokes. By, by the way, we got Janet Jackson there as well. Um, <laughs> she's hanging in. Um, the I just want to say something on the AZ thing because when I used to, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to say this, but when I used to Google myself and I wrote ADAM space Z, it always used to come up Adam Zwa, right? Yep. Now ADAM space Z yep. is Adam Zampa, the uh, the leg spinner. The oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been usurped. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. There would have been Adam Zamet, the concert promoter, and all that. Would have you? You always had him covered, did you? Probably not anymore. But back in the day. Tell me more about when you used to Google yourself, mate. Well, you know, normally it's a it's a thing of not like, oh, this is wonderful. It's more of a paranoid thing. It's like, what are they fucking saying about? I'll tell show? you a truth. So when I used to appear on Good Newsweek, and in the early days of the internet, and they started, there was a Good Newsweek fan site or something, and you could vote for your favourite guests. So Good Newsweek was Mikey Robbins and Julie McCrossan, and a group of panelists, and it was the first sort of TV I did. And I tended to go all right on the show. I'd do a lot of work in advance. I'd read every newspaper for the week that I was going on just to make sure I had every story covered. And I went all right on the show and I could crack a joke. And they had this fan page where fans of the show could vote for their favourite guest. And in the early days of the page, I was actually on top of the list and I felt really good about that. And then Richard Feidler from the Doug Anthony All-Stars guested on the show a couple of times because of the old Paul McDermott connection. And the Doug Anthony All-Stars fans are so obsessive. Mm. He suddenly rockets to the top of the most popular guest on the Good News Week. And I was, I was really proud that I'd been the most popular guest. And I didn't think it was fair that he had this sort of Doug Anthony All-Star, you know, collective behind him. And I convinced myself, I'm sure some of those people are probably even voting for him more than once. <laughs> the only fair thing for me to do is to vote for myself hundreds of times to get myself <laughs> back to number one on this list which I successfully did. And months later, someone from the uh, show revealed to me when they had that fan page pointed out to them that you could see where votes were coming from. (laughs) (laughs) And there was just this one afternoon where Adam Spencer polled about 400 votes to get back to number one, all from the same IP address. You genuinely think that it'll bring some sort of long-lasting fulfilment, like, you know... If you <laughs> vote for yourself and end up being number one, yep. I mean, it's, uh, or I Google myself and someone's written something nice. No, it's a sugar hit for about, you know, 20 seconds. <laughs> but generally speaking, you will find something horrible there. And, uh, you know, 
And, and the way I'd reconciled it in my mind as I convinced myself that these anonymous people I'd never met were probably cheating, which in my own mind gave me the green light to just cheat appallingly <laughs> on my own behalf to get in front of Richard Feidler. It's a good thing we're such well-rounded people now. Yeah, just so, so relaxed about stuff. <laughs> Mate, first question, how do you think your fellow workers would describe you? Yeah, now, so I'm a big fan of your pod and I was listening to this the other day and I heard that question and one thing I'm terrible at is when I I often when I'm listening to interviews because I do quite a few myself and I guest on things now and then I'll regularly if I'm listening to something just hit pause the moment a question's been asked and just start answering it myself just to see what I would do in that situation um and because I've been I've been all my life a compulsive talker and I will, I will talk out loud when I'm walking down the street. And if I'm, if I'm thinking of a conversation I'm going to have with someone, I will actually have those words out loud. Uh, and my answer at the time, and I stand by it, is a little spin on that of the thing that leapt into my mind is the way I'm most regularly described that really irritates me a little bit is, uh, and it and it's, sounds a little bit self-serving, but I often get called a maths genius and it actually really frustrates me a little bit because I'm not by any stretch of the imagination a maths genius. I'm, I'm quite handy at a certain level of mathematics. I'm really good at explaining the limited level of mathematics I know, quite good at explaining what really good mathematicians are doing. But the, the phrase I like to use is, in a room of randomly selected people, I'm a maths genius. <laughs> in, in a room of maths PhDs, mate, I'm as dumb as a box of hammers. I'm like, the, 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 I know cricket's your bag, and congratulations on that, the brilliant book. Um, Thanks, mate. 12 Summers. Cricket analogy, if I was like a handy, not even playing from a state, but like a handy, great, this I, I played first grade for Sydney Uni in cricket, mm-hmm. and somehow got a single game for New South Wales, fluked it with edges to 100 and got picked for Australia. And after two tests, they went, I oh, hold it, you're fucking awful. You're not good enough to play for Australia and dropped me. But now I'm on the ABC commentary team over summer explaining what Steve Smith and Pat Cummins and people like that who can really play cricket mm. are doing. That's where I sit in the maths world. The other day I was on... Yes. Um, it was a very exciting the other day because it was the 22nd of February, 2022. So it was 22222. So I was obviously doing, I actually was doing a lot of media around palindromic dates. Or as, was, as, as cricket fans call it, Richie Benno Day. Richie Benno Day. And it was a Tuesday as well, Super Tuesday. <laughs> and, then, and at the same time, they had that wheels versus doors controversy. Are there more wheels or doors in the world? That's right, yes. So I was on Fox FM, uh, Fifi Box, Brendan Favola and Nick Cody. Fifi Fev and Nick answering, giving my thoughts as a mathematician on uh, wheels versus doors, having a great debate with Feb, who's really on the doors side of things. <laughs> and, and I was having a bit of fun with Feb and I said, I was a massive fan, Feb. One, one thing I really liked about your, um, your career, mate, you, are, you wore number 25 for Carlton and you kicked 575 goals, which of course is a multiple of 25. It's 23, let's 25. And they'll go, Ugh. and it, we keep talking. <laughs> and about 20 seconds later, you hear Feb go, Oh, he's right, you know. So Feb's obviously got out the, the the iPhone, flicked into calculator mode, and done a quick long division. 
And as they were wrapping up the segment, and we had a great chat, and, and, and wrapping up the segment, you see a fair going, great guy, Matt's genius. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, you know, AFL legend Brennan Favola, with the greatest of respect, you're just not in a position to bestow <laughs> the title of Matt's genius. And the, and the reason it does actually frustrate me a little bit, because Matt's is beautiful, and my bag is trying to get people into Matt's, People call me a maths genius precisely for the reason people are so intimidated by maths. Yeah, I, I jump through a few hoops and do a few lardy da tricks. That's just nowhere near genius. So the long answer to your question, but the short answer is the thing that people describe me as that most makes me go, oh, no, not really, is if anyone throws the, uh, the G word around when it comes to my mathematical ability. Mate, I, I can't tell you how much I love that answer. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, I've been in that position before in, in, in certain, you know, people might think I know a bit about cricket, you know, and if they say I was a cricket genius, it's like, oh, I, I, I hope, you know, Gideon Haig and Dan Brady can't listen. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, if, if Terry Tao is listening to your podcast and you call me a maths genius, he will, yes. he will hop on the plane from UCLA where he's currently explaining the, the green tau theorem to people and come and like land one right on your schnoz. <laughs> what is the most unhelpful feedback you've received, Adam? Uh, I, so when I was on uh, breakfast, so I did breakfast by myself on Triple J for a little while. And then Will Anderson came on as a guest, which became a regular guest, which became one day a week and then finally became the full-time co-host. And we had a really good time, and and it, it, it we we were quite distinct personalities mm. uh, on air, and we probably exaggerated our personalities. Will a lot smarter than he was, you know, acting as the sort of comedic oaf sometimes, and I wasn't quite as obsessed with nerdy numericals. I probably was, but we we, <laughs> we had these two sort of different characters, and and a lot of people really liked it, but there were some people who liked the show who really, really liked me and Will wasn't quite their thing. Right. Um, and, 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 and for a while there, I'd have people occasionally coming up to me saying, you know, mate, love, love, love Triple J. And I'm like, mate, you should really, mate, you should, you should get rid of that dickhead you're <laughs> on with, shouldn't you? And just as, as a general hint for people out there, if, you, if you're going up to someone and bad-mouthing a colleague they have a working relationship with, there's a pretty good chance they actually quite enjoy working with that person. <laughs> or if they don't, you're not helping by suggesting, you know, and I, I used to get a little bit stressed by this. And then finally one day it suddenly occurred to me, well, hold it. He's probably got just as many people walking up to him saying that. Nice. And so one night over a beer, I sort of mentioned, yeah, gee, it frustrates me when people, and we'll say, yeah, it happens to me a bit too. And he, he had this great line. He said, I'm pretty sure you're never going to see in the paper, Spencer splits with Anderson on advice of drunken fuckwit in pub. <laughs> and so the most unhelpful feedback or advice I ever used to get was people saying I should dump Will from the show and vice versa, <laughs> him for me. One, because it's just not great advice. And two, I'm just not going to make big career decisions at two in the morning at the town hall hotel <laughs> in Newtown with some slobbering idiot. What was the... Uh... What was your era? Was it um, early 2000s? Yeah. So I, I did one year of drive in 1998, replacing mm -hmm. Helen Razor. 
That's I right. did breakfast by myself in 99 and Will and I teamed up from 2000 until 2004. Wow, that was a good innings. Four yeah, years. Yeah, we, we, we had a fun little run. It was funny. They, when they had, um, in uh, 2015, when Triple J turned 40, and they got some pairs back. They got they got Will and I back together to do a little segment on uh, Double J, the digital channel. We just did a two-hour shift, oh, and it was nice. very sweet. This we, we met up there at the front door of the studio, and this young pup comes running out and opens up the door and goes, oh, how are you going, guys? And he's sort of he's excited because he thinks he's in the presence of Triple J royalty, clearly has no idea who we really are, which is fine. And we go in, and, and he... And he sits us down in the studio and goes, look, we're going on in about 20 minutes. I thought, guys, what we'll do is we'll, 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 we'll I'll, I'll play a song. We'll come back off the song, maybe just a little 30-second sort of, you know, position of there. I'll just throw to you guys, do your bit, you know, come back, I'll play another song. Then we'll have our first mic break. Why don't we then maybe do a little bit? And I just leaned over and I, I tapped him on the arm and said, buddy, um, we've got this, mate. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to be fine. <laughs> Uh, and it was funny with those sort of things that took maybe <clears throat> 45 seconds of the first mic break. And then we were just yeah, back in. Yeah. You'd found each other again. Yeah. And oh, it's all wonderful. just, and you want, you know, it is, it's all just, <clears throat> it's just understanding that conversational rhythm mm. and, and, and good combos like that. We, you practically never talk over each other. I could just hear like Will could say, Someone could be talking on air. Will could be responding to them. And to you, it's a series of words. I could tell the slight intonational difference between him saying, mate, I've got this. Leave, don't don't hop in. I've got this covered. I'm working up to something really funny here. Or for the love of God, are you going to fucking help me out here? Or am I dying all by myself? Wow. Dude? Yeah, just just slight tone and body language things. It was It's fascinating That's how great. quickly that beds down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really great. Um, what's the failure you most cherish? The other day when I was listening to your podcast and you asked that question of Mark Watson, the comedian, and I slammed pause on my car and started answering it, the answer I came up with. So when I was at uni, I, uh, I ran for election for a few different things, the student union and that sort of stuff. Oh, wow. And not not the political side of Labor and Liberal on campus, but the organization that ran all the clubs and, and and societies and threw all the big parties and that sort of stuff and i was pretty good at i was pretty good at getting elected to things i could run a pretty good election campaign on, on campus and i was pretty well known and all that and the most sort of the highest body at uni was the senate the university senate and after my year as union president i decided i'm going to run as the undergraduate student on the senate and the woman who was the president of the SRC, which is the other big student body on campus, announced she was going to run as well. And so for the nerdy sort of, you know, political junkies on campus, the thought of Adam Spencer and Caitlin Vaughan facing off in an election campaign for Senate had people really quite excited because she came from this big election machinery, but I just had lots and lots of people who knew me and people were really looking forward to this mouth-watering contest. So I went and got my page of nomination nominees filled out and I lodged it with the Senate office. And I had to go, I, I was going away to debate for the university um, interstate. And so I went off and while I was away, the, 
nominations closed. I got back and I went into the main quad. I looked at the, at the, at the elections notice board and it said, congratulations, Caitlin Vaughan has been um, elect, elected unopposed to the Senate. Um, at the close of nominations, there was only one nomination. It was Caitlin Vaughan. I'm thinking, what? Whoa. Whoa. Hey. So I went and checked with the registrar and he showed me my bit of paper and he said, you've only got 19 uh, valid nominees. And I go, oh, there's 20 names there, dude. One of my mates, I'd gone into Manning Bar, the student bar there, and got my mate Nick to nominate me for Senate. Nick did that, neglecting to tell me, oh, by the way, later this afternoon, I'm going to go and discontinue my degree. Uh, I'm not studying anymore. And Nick, it didn't. This is possibly the reason he was discontinuing from an arts degree is he didn't have the mental capacity to realise that given you're about to quit uni, you probably shouldn't be nominating people for elections <clears throat> at the same time i didn't have the capacity to realize you should probably get 24 or 25 nominees just in case there's a technical problem with one of them so i never got to run in this election and at the time it was it, i felt it was a great failure it really irritated me i ended up getting a first class honors in maths and staying around and doing a phd if i'd been the undergraduate, if I'd run that election and won it and been the undergraduate student on the Senate, I would not have been able to do my PhD. I would have lost that position if I'd gone to my PhD. Oh, wow. So I would have probably said, okay, I'll just keep doing my law degree. So yes. if my mate Nick hadn't nominated me and then discontinued and I'd won that election, I'd probably now be working as a big corporate lawyer or at the Boston Consulting Group or something like that. And without any disrespect for the people who do that, I'm just so grateful my life. Because there's, there's two different, there's, there's failure. We have this whole culture of embrace failure, learn from failure and all that, which is a positive thing. And it's what your question often gets to with people. But the other failures that people don't think about sometimes are ones that just create this that shut a door on what would have been a sliding door moment or whatever that you never mm. even, my life would have been completely different if I'd run that, won that election and not continued with my mathematics and gone down the law path. So your PhD, and, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So yeah. your PhD um, I got you into the media as well? Yeah. So it was because I was still at uni mucking around doing my PhD when Triple J first had raw comedy which they still do these days for undiscovered comedians, there was a, there was a university category and an open category. And I nominated, so I entered the university. So I won the New South Wales university leg of law, rural comedy or whatever. It was a very, it was the first ever year. The standard was appalling. And so I won. And that set me off on meeting all the good Newsweek people and all that sort of stuff. If I'd burrowed wow. down into, into a, if I'd finished my law degree within two years and gone off and worked at, Freehill, Hollingdale and Page or similar, yeah. um, I probably never would have gone down that path at all. All possible. And I might be overstating it in the chain of causation, but quite possibly all because my mate Nick disenrolled from an arts <laughs> and didn't tell me. I love it. I love it. It's, it's uh, you know, I don't know. You might be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would have actually been any good at that sort of stuff. I know I've got got friends who are, um, and and uh, I, I found out just the other day. So when I was pretty handy at debating at uni, and yes. the first, so I went to the world championships a couple of times, and the first world championships I went to, a guy I was younger, my partner was a few years older, 
he just recently got appointed as the Chief Justice of New South Wales. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that kind of makes you feel old too. It makes you go, oh, where are the, where the grown-ups now? Did you debate Christian Porter? In high school, not at uni. So yeah, right. I, was the, the, I was captain of the New South Wales high school team. Uh-huh. And I was in my final year, year 12. I think he might have been in year 11, but he was in the West Australian team. And the only thing I remember of it was that he, they were, he was a strikingly handsome chap in the blazer and the boater and all that sort of stuff. And I do remember at one, they, they, they debated at one, uh, we were in South Australia for the championships, I think. And they debated at a, uh, a very fancy posh private girls school. And I, we heard that all the, all the girls in the audience had asked if they could have Christian Porter's palm cards after he finished the debate because they thought he was so hot. Oh, my God. Adam mentioned that he was close to a lot of the people at the centre of the allegations against Christian Porter, but we won't be going into the details here because we don't have a legal budget. Leaving that aside for a second, but what it also kind of threw light on was this whole de- debating community, which I didn't really know existed, and how, like how kind of intense it all was you know, in the final years of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And into university. And I mean, it's because I mean, I loved it. I thought it was an absolute lark. Um, But for some people, it is they're getting up the runs and the points for launching political careers and big legal careers and things like that. And I I was I used to love it and and have a good laugh at it. But there were some people and it's interesting. I read one article that was analysing it saying that and it's true to some extent that if you if, if you're in these intensely competitive arenas where you're often to your own ethical code lying, mm-hmm. you know, really prosecuting something that deep down you genuinely either don't understand or believe 100% the opposite, and you get really, really good at being able to put on a straight face and argue passionately almost to the point of bringing up tears, something you think is absolute bollocks, mm. Whether, that, whether that's good for you and gives you a mind that is truly balanced and can handle critical thinking and take an opposite view and appreciate it, or whether it's a, <clears throat> a little bit sort of sociopathic. Yes, and, uh, yeah, it know, feels like would open up a, a pathway to, <clears throat> to some sort of sociopathic tendencies. Mm. We, we did a debate once. We did a debate once in Singapore, and uh, it was on the topic of the death penalty. And we were arguing in favour of the death penalty. And I was the third speaker on our team. And there were three adjudicators. And one of them was a gentleman from a Malaysian university. And I noticed when he was writing, and you're always trying to get a read on the adjudicators. And you can tell if some of them are leaning in and nodding or ticking and crossing. And this guy had two pens and he was writing in blue. And he'd occasionally pick up his red pen to underline things and and emphasise. So you could tell when he thought stuff was important. And I just noticed a couple of times, each time we prosecuted the death penalty, <clears throat> the stronger the statements we made, the more he seemed to be agreeing. And the other two adjudicators, I thought we were going all right in this debate, but this guy in particular. And so <laughs> in my speech, I started to really lay it on pretty thick. <laughs> and he's just, he's put the blue pen down and it's just all red pen at this stage. And at one stage, I used the phrase... These people have forfeited their contract with society and something must be done. And if the state is not willing to hang the noose around their neck, I will tie that knot myself, Mr. Speaker. (laughs) And I sit down 
And my two, and I'm getting my two teammates turn to me and go, "You got pretty fired up there." And I just said to them, "Look, I think we've got this. I know we've got the guy on the left." <laughs> and and did you win? Yeah, we won three 0 But but he he was kicking it. He he almost stood and applauded when I was uh, offering to tie the noose myself. Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want to get caught with drugs in Malaysia, do you? Uh, no, and, and yeah, and, and it, so that is that debating world is an interesting one in that sense. I mean, a lot of the people I know from that time were just really funny, mm. great value, interesting people. But there were a few who were a little bit more intense than you would have liked. Yes, I remember it at my school too. It was I went to a school where they. A few, I think, Queensland reps, and yeah, that was it. Was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I was just running cross country. I didn't know what was going on. You were a cross country uh, runner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, mate. The the daggiest thing possible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. With the greatest of respect, it's not the most glamorous of all. No, no, I go for the glamour sports. Uh, what word or phrase do you most overuse? Um, I just possibly used it then with the greatest of respect. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Or I, I, I tend with my background in debating and that sort of stuff. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know to what level I think, but I tend to think really quickly mm. and verbally and I can, I'm often planning ahead where the next sentence is going while I'm talking, I construct and, and, and I sometimes overthink in, <clears throat> in the course of saying something, will apologise in advance for where I think it's going just to soften the blow of what I might be saying. And my, I'm recently married and my beautiful wife will regularly, when I say, look, with, with the greatest of respect or with no offence, and she'll say, look, just say the offensive thing first and then apologise for it. I'll I'll decide if I'm offended, and then you will apologise. But don't go apologising before. And because if you think you're about to offend me, don't fucking offend me. Yeah. And I I really tend to overthink, and so I do a lot of sort of <clears throat> apologising and self prepping and cushioning. And my, mm. my daughters say the same that are just dad, just dad, dad, dad. Just get to it. Just is, get to it. Is that the lawyer in you, or is it the uh, the maths guy? It's more maths. I think it was, it was an interesting one because, and this is a big generalization, but generally your debating types tended to be more law, politics, philosophy students. There weren't that many of us who were mathematical. So whatever skills I do have are an interesting mix of numerical and verbal, mm. but a lot of the way that I talk and think is quite mathematical. So I will chart out, this will go to that, will go to that. The order of things is really important to me. I don't tend to just, you know, fly off and just chat and see where it'll land. I tend to be planning in ahead in my mind, even in the course of putting a sentence together, where it's going to go and the logical place it will finish. That sort of permeates a lot of the way. I think I joke about it, but it is true that with the one that really used to irritate my... Uh, ex-wife who I get on with fantastically these days and this is not the reason she is my ex-wife but we'd go we'd be shopping and uh you know at Coles or something and we'd be say two-thirds of the way through the shop and got the big trolley and I go look you've got about four or five more things to get yet look I'll go and stand in the queue now so by the time you've got all that stuff and caught up to me I should be pretty much at the front of the queue ready to go 
in the perfect world, I'll even be halfway through getting my stuff put in the bags and you just arrive with a few more things and we can. And that would just drive her up the wall. But to me, that's the only conceivable logical way two people can shop. It just makes no sense that you all go <clears throat> and load up everything in the trolley and then go and join the back of the line. Mm. That just make and she goes, but we're just no, well, I just I just want to hang out together. And I'd be saying, Yeah, I want to hang out together too. Not at fucking Woolworths. Yeah. So if we if we can just be efficient for a few minutes here, I'm thinking we might get five minutes more quality time together outside of the shops. <laughs> and so that <clears throat> that sort of what, so I interesting. what I perceive as inefficiencies, and I'll, I'll regularly with my kids or with my you know, wife, I'll be saying, well, hold it. If you, why don't no, you go first in your car and drop them? I'll go and do the shopping. By the time I get back here, if you stop on the way back and pick up your son and I get here and my daughter goes and gets off the train at Chatswood instead of, and boom, we can probably save like 25 minutes. Mm on the whole and she's just just let's just let's just see how it goes and i just can't i just the, the, the thought that there might be a more efficient way that it could have been done just gets my goat oh, it's does it also help does the does maths also help you with comedy i think the setup the, and payoff yeah that sort of and, and certainly and i've not done um big long form stuff, but I'll watch someone like Will do a one hour show and he probably realizes now, but I think when he first sort of graduates up to one hour shows, a lot of comedians don't realize how mathematical in the sense of algorithmic that stuff is. Absolutely. Wow. Warm it up with a couple of short, sharp things, establish a couple of themes. If you're going to do a bit of riffing with the audience, do it nice and early here, plan an idea, tell this joke that's got this punchline. If you're going to call it back, call it back. Oh, leave it a good 20, 25 minutes. Call it back at sort of a two-thirds of the way through the set in a big turning point. Then, boom, bring it home, finish on the way up. That's that. And I'm, I'm not saying it's cookie cutter. I'm not saying it's as easy as that. But without doubt, there's that's a that's an algorithm. That's a that's computer code. That's yeah. process. That's information theory as much as it is the quite you, you could have two people who've got 20 really funny jokes. The, the person who can turn that into a one-hour narrative is a mathematician as much as they are a comedian. Mm. Yep, I, I, I certainly think that. So, Cleese did talk about uh, faulty towers being a, almost a mathematical equation. Oh, so. there's, there's just – and even, even, even in – and I'll do this with my kids sometimes. We'll be watching like – they love uh, you know, your superstore and your, the office or whatever. And so, yeah, American episode of The Office, office – Stop at two and a half minutes in and go, okay, there are three storylines here. What are they? What's the biggest one? What's the B and what's the C? And let's see how, and let's notice in the last three minutes of the show, all three of those will be tied up. Mm. Or if one of them is left over, it'll be the very first thing the next show starts with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's all mathematics. Yeah. That's yeah. all mathematics. It's like it took me a long time to work out because I wasn't a maths guy, and it took me a long time to work out the uh, relationship between maths and comedy. But it was always there, and especially maths, well, maths and screenwriting, yeah, uh, in that context. But maths and and also joke construction, yeah. Um, well, and, the, and the classic one is, you know, the, the the Irishman, the Scotsman, and the American. It's always three people walk mm -hmm. into a bar. The first one does something. The second one does exactly the same, establishing in your mind the concept that this is the only reasonable thing you do. The mm. third one, waka waka, does yes. something different. Yeah, now, yeah. If you, 
if you just said an Englishman walks into a bar and does something, an Irishman walks in and does something different, you'd go, well, that's reasonable. Yeah, that there's probably different things you could do in a bar. Yeah, or if yeah. you go, okay, 17 guys walk into a bar. Now, the 14th guy does exactly what the first 13. People are going to go, I just don't fucking care anymore, mate. Yeah, yeah, but three yeah. is exactly what you need for trope becomes a yeah. general. You know, something becomes trope becomes flipped over. Yeah, yeah, so, that, that element of surprise. And it almost, if the three isn't even, like, it's even in drama, if the three's not there, hmm. then people get people feel a little bit kind of, weird and uncomfortable and it, it can work with it can like a, a storyline can work with four and all that but it's got to be immaculately crafted mm. i will tell you did you hear the joke that an infinite number of mathematicians walk into a bar right the first one says i'll have a beer the second one says i'll have half a beer the third one says i'll have a quarter of a beer the fourth one is about to order an eighth of a beer when the barman goes i'll fuck off and just pours two beers <laughs> Bang! I'm so Bang! I'm so glad I got that. I was a bit worried that I wasn't going to go there. Infinite uh, series. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a motto? My mum always used to say, "If you can't say anything nice about someone, they must be a right cunt." <laughs> I was eight when she first told me that. I I I think that's great. I mean, and and you. <laughs> And you followed it to this day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Out of the Question. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. Until next time, thanks for joining us.